everyone, this is Jennifer. And this is Paige. And this is Big Book Energy. Welcome to our first bonus episode of season two. Woo! The theme of which is movie magic. So we will be once a month reading a book and then watching the movie adaptation and then having a discussion about the book, about how the book and the movie compare to each other, whether or not the book or the movie was better, all that stuff. Okay, so for this month, uh, we picked The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. Um, I think I just like did a Google search for books that were turned into movies and this one came up and uh jennifer Mm. had already read the book and i had heard of henrietta Lacks, but like i didn't really know a whole lot about her so we figured this would be a good one to do um jennifer never seen a movie i clearly had no exposure to either so we picked this one and i gotta say it was a good pick so uh the book is by Rebecca Skloot, I think is what her name is, um, a yes. science journalist, and the movie was made by HBO and starred Oprah. Um, yep, Oprah's in it. Oprah is in it. Star power. Yeah. Actually, yeah, I recognize a lot of people in that cast. They got... Yes. They got a hell of a cast for that movie. They did. They. I was honestly surprised by how many people I recognized right? in that movie. Like, I'm terrible with names, but as soon as the faces came up, I was like, oh, I know that one. Yeah. Oh, I know that girl. Oh, I know that guy. Like, yeah. Not what I was expecting um, from the movie. I was pleasantly, I was pleasantly surprised by the movie. Uh, Spoiler alert. Um, But the story, right now, I'm going to talk about the book. So the story is broken up into two separate narratives. uh, One that's really about Henrietta Lacks, and the second story that really tracks Skloot trying to write the story And then in between, there's a lot of information about the progression of scientific research with the HeLa cell line. We'll get into what that is, so just stay with us. Uh, So first, let's talk about Henrietta Lacks. Henrietta was born in 1920 and grew up in a town called Clover, Virginia. Uh, Her mother died when she was four years old, and she was sent to live with her grandfather and a cousin named Day, a male cousin named Day. Uh, The Lacks family was very impoverished. Uh, most of the children only went to school for a few years before they dropped out to help on the tobacco farm. Henrietta ended up having children with and marrying her cousin Day. To support the family, Day left Clover to take a job in Baltimore and ended up moving the family there once they, they got enough money for the move. Mm. Uh, Henrietta spent most of her time looking after her children and really any other member of the family that dropped by, and it's a big family, lots of cousins. People were in and out of that home quite often. Uh, She and Day had five children total, three boys and two girls. Unfortunately, the older daughter, Elsie, suffered from epilepsy and was considered mentally disabled. Uh, She ended up being sent to a mental asylum once her mother could no longer take care of all the children at once. Which, I mean, fair. Five is quite a handful. Yeah. Uh, Henrietta did occasionally suffer from bouts of syphilis brought home by her husband, but for the most part, she was relatively healthy. Um, at least she felt that way, like she felt healthy. Until, in 1950, she noticed a bump on her cervix, uh, and she went to Johns Hopkins, a hospital that provided free care to all people 
this is important. This was very much during the time of segregation, and not all hospitals treated black patients. Yes. Um, so yeah. they had to drive a little ways to get John Hopkins to get the get the exam that she needed. At the exam, there was nothing visible, but Henrietta insisted that she felt a lump. While the doctor sent her home, she was absolutely right. Three months later, the pain became worse, and she returned to Johns Hopkins for a second exam, and this time the lump was visible, and it had grown exponentially over those three months. Unfortunately, this cancer was aggressive, and it spread through her entire body despite treatments, and she passed away on October 4th, 1951. But that is definitely not the end of the story. Because when Henrietta... No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Spoiler no, alert, it's not. It's not. <laughs> um, because when Henrietta came back that second time, doctors took a sample of the tissue of the tumor growing on her cervix and sent it to a man named George Guy. Is it Guy or is guy. it Gay? Yeah. Guy. Okay. Guy was working growing cell lines, uh, but was running into difficulty keeping them alive for long periods of time. They would essentially yeah. just Cells die. don't like living outside the body. They don't. They're not a fan. Yeah. And they, they still hadn't figured out how to keep them alive yet. They, no. Reliably, no. anyway. Yeah. This is very, very early in the days of um, cell research. Uh, so he's having trouble keeping them alive. That is until he got a hold of Henrietta Lacks's cancer cells. These cells proved to be immortal. They continue to grow to this day, and their importance to science cannot be overstated. These cells, which Guy named Gila, basically regenerated the portion of the cells that deteriorated and led to cell death. This is a gross oversimplification of the process. If you're interested in that stuff, pick up a copy of this book as Skleet gets into it a bit more, and it is, it's really very interesting. Mm. The other important thing about these cells is that since they never die, you can always get more. You can expose these cells to any adverse situation you wish, for example, extreme radiation. And if that does stop the cells from reproducing, you simply order more cells from the manufacturer. And yes, there is a manufacturer. Billions of HeLa cells are produced for the scientific community to use in research. And they make a lot of money doing so. The scientific yep. community uses the cells to expose them to viruses, radiation. They were even sent up in a space to observe the effect of zero gravity on cells. The research has led to vaccines that have saved millions of lives. Like polio. Like polio. And the HPV vaccine as well. Yeah, actually this cancer was a form of HPV, so uh, yeah. the HPV Gardasil vaccines comes from Gila. And while all of this sounds great and amazing, and it is, don't get me wrong, a reoccurring issue of ethics is wound up in the HeLa cell line. The cells were originally taken without Henrietta's knowledge or consent. No one in her family after the fact even knew about the cell's existence until many years later. Scientists had shown decades up- Decades later. Yeah. Decades. Decades. Uh, scientists had shown up at their house- decades later, when all of her children were adults, to take blood samples from them. The family didn't know this had to do with the cells. Deborah, Henrietta's younger daughter, thought she was being tested for cancer. 
And when the family did learn that the cells existed and asked the doctor about it, they were handed a textbook that, quote, explained everything. Henry and his children were unfortunately not able to complete a high level of schooling either, so this effectively was no explanation at all for them. Uh, I mean, to be fair, I think most people would struggle to understand a textbook on a subject as intense as cell line research, so that just really drives home the doctors did not care to take the time to explain things to the family. For years, people's, and more specifically, white people's, only interest with the family had to do with those cells, and none of them took the time to explain what any of it meant to them. Mm -hmm. On top of all of this, the family became aware of how much the cells were worth. Henry and his family still lived in poverty. They couldn't even afford health insurance. And if that doesn't make you stop and think that the children of a woman whose cells led to so many breakthroughs in modern medicine couldn't even afford proper health insurance, I really don't know what will. Henrietta's sons in particular believed that they were owed money, in particular from Johns Hopkins related to any and all sales of the Gila line. They were never given anything. Uh, for one, Hopkins, Johns Hopkins, nor the doctors who worked there actually sold Gila. Uh, those initial samples were given away in good faith for research purposes, just for the record. It was later companies that turned selling Gila into a business. Um, additionally, Courts had ruled that once cells or tissues left your body, you no longer had any ownership of them. Which, if you ask me, brings up some mm. really terrifying questions mm. about consent and bodily autonomy. Yeah. I don't like that. I don't like that at all. <laughs> I don't like that. The lacks were fed up and over people. Deborah, uh, in particular, had even suffered a nervous breakdown over everything surrounding her mother's cells, especially when a man who claimed to be a lawyer and who initially lied to the Lax family in an attempt to use them to sue John Hopkins to receive compensation regarding selling Gila turned around and then tried to sue the entire Lax family. Real upstanding gentleman right there. Uh, this betrayal of trust happened right before Skloot called about writing her book and further damaged the Lax family trust in anyone who contacted them about the Gila cells and Henrietta. And this is where the second part of the narrative really picks up. So Rebecca Skloot had first heard of Gila in the high school biology class and immediately became interested in the story. What she was particularly interested in was the story of Henrietta Lacks herself. While her teachers accurately told her the name of Henrietta Lacks, many people didn't actually know that, uh, they mistakenly called her Helen Lane and several other such names. So the person of Henrietta Lacks was a complete mystery. She attempted to get in touch with the Lacks family uh, years later after she graduated college, uh, and what ensued was a delicate dance to gain the family's trust. Uh, Deborah, after Skloot initially called her, was at first receptive to a book about her mother, specifically about her mother and not just the cells, but then retracted that and told Skloot she must first meet with her brothers. The Lax brothers actually stood Skloot up the first time she drove to meet them, and to her credit, still determined, Skloot later actually drove down to Clover and met with several of the Lax cousins. Uh, she was able to see where Henrietta was buried in the family cemetery in an unmarked grave. 
it took a while, but eventually the family did decide to meet with her, and she was able to learn the Lax brothers and Day's opinions about the whole Gila business, but it was really Deborah who she spent all of her time with. Henrietta had died before Deborah was old enough to remember anything about her, and this was really what drove Deborah. She wanted to know more about her mother, more about the cells, and to make sure that her mother was remembered. Additionally, Deborah wanted to know more about her sister Elsie. Elsie had died in the mental asylum at the age of 15, and no one in her family wanted to talk about it. Skloot was able to help Deborah and Deborah's younger brother, Zachariah. Zakaria. Zakaria, thank you. I knew it was Zakaria. Screw that up. Zakaria, uh, to meet with a scientist who finally took the time to explain what was so important about the HeLa cells. His name was Christoph Langwer. Sorry, dude. Uh, Langauer. It says in the book he's Austrian, so uh, I don't know. <laughs> Imagine what I said in an Austrian accent, and then we'll get there. <laughs> um. <laughs> So he actually took them to the lab, showed them the cells, showed them some printouts so they could actually see what Henrietta cells looked like and explained yeah. the research going on and out there. Little he things. He explained, like, what cells did so they even, like, understood, like, the basics, you know, like, what DNA was and where it was in the cell, all of it. Right. Basic, basic things that really would not have been too much trouble for anyone to just sit down with them and explain yeah that part really pissed that was, me off yeah this particular story where they were at hopkins is is one of my favorites in in the book i think because it was like finally someone from hopkins was acknowledging that like this institution hasn't treated you well but i'm going to treat you well you know yeah it yeah <laughs> little things just, yeah, that was one of my favorite scenes too, and also one of my favorite scenes um, in the movie as well. In the movie, yeah, yeah, I agree. Then Deborah and Skloot went out on a road trip first to learn about Elsie's fate, and it's a sad one. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. I mean, if you think asylum for black people in the fifties, yeah. That should it's give not you going to be good. Pretty it's... good indicator. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, this whole section is utterly heartbreaking. Um, they were able to track down a record of her at the facility that had formerly been the asylum. Uh, that particular asylum had been overcrowded and many of the patients there died. Um, LZ was one of them. There was one particularly devastating picture that they found of her where someone has their hands around her neck, probably trying to keep her face still for the picture that they took. Yeah. Yeah. Picture shows that Elsie was crying and she did not look well. Um, it put Deborah into another nervous breakdown. And so the road trip ended. Um, this unfortunately was a very predictable result. Deborah suffered from what looks like extreme anxiety that I don't remember her being firmly diagnosed as such. She had several diagnoses from several different psychiatrists, um, including paranoia, anxiety, depression. Poor woman was on. There was like schizophrenia. Schizophrenia. Had, yeah. Yeah. Um, she was on a cocktail of drugs to try and keep that under control. 
um, like one example of how anxious she was, um, she was terrified to give a speech at a symposium about her mother where she feared that someone in the audience would want her killed um, because of her cells and her relation to her mother and maybe just trying to keep her quiet. Um, this mental state, coupled with learning the devastating facts about her sister, really pushed her over the edge. Uh, she had a pretty bad episode there. Mm. But another important thing that happened on this road trip, the night that they visited, the, the night of the visit to the asylum, so that's still, Deborah's in that very intense mental state. Like, manic state. Almost. Manic. Manic. Yeah, that's a good way of describing it. Um, Deborah actually lets Scloot see her mother's medical records for the first time. Deborah had kept very, very close hold on those records because she worried about what people would do with them once they got them. And in fact, at one point, while they were looking at the records together, Deborah actually pushed Scloot up against the wall, demanding to know who she worked for before Scloot was able to calm her down. And by that, I mean she actually just straight up yelled at Deborah. Um, the medical records were obviously important, and that was a huge help in finishing the book. Uh, unfortunately... Um, Deborah did die before the book was published, and so she was not able to read the final version. And that is the note that the book ends on. Um, there's a short follow-up that was written about the people in the book, so you sort of know where they are in their life. Um, but this wraps up the summary section for the book. Now, the movie sort of follows just the Skloot and Deborah dynamic and the journey mm -hmm. of finding all of that information there are some flashbacks to henrietta and some encounters with doctors but the the deborah um sclute dynamic is really what's important in the movie yeah and that's all i got for the summary what did you what did you uh think about the book um reading it? i really like the book uh it's not a difficult read. Um, Scoot does a pretty good job of breaking down all of the science that's in there, and I was really mm. interested in learning about um, like how the research into Gila sort of contributed to the scientific community and what the results were, and she did a good job of breaking that down. I'm absolutely furious after <laughs> reading about yeah. how they were treated um, and some severe ethical violations that happened in my opinion but um yeah i thought it was great um i know that i mean i love this book and i loved it again reading it another time um i know that uh Sklute set up the henrietta Lacks foundation she did um after publishing the book um although I think is that is that for like uh tuition and stuff for yeah i think that's to help henrietta's descendants like, um starting really with her grandchildren to further their education further um, that's what i thought yeah yeah so i'll probably i'll link to all appropriate sites for that um in our show notes for sure yes. um, so you can check it out if you want to yeah i i love this book um so it also kind of works as a, 
as a book we love. A book we um, love. Yeah, the the science. Well, it's really just impressive to me. Like, like you mentioned, like how Sklut is able to put all of these different narratives together mm. in a way that is really engaging. Um, so like that personal dynamic, the story of the family and her relationship with them um, mixed with like scientific discovery in a way mm-hmm. that's understandable to someone who doesn't have a background um, in science or biology specifically. And then also that, that ethical discussion that constantly comes up mm-hmm. um, throughout the book and all of the other stories um, of other people who were in similar situations and, you know, the, the various kind of like uh, laws and stuff like that, that were passed to try and address some of these questions, but still leave a lot to be desired. So Mm -hmm. to put it lightly, to put it lightly, we'll get into that. I'm sure. Five stars. I'll give it four. Yeah. Great. Very great book, but I'd say not, not top tier. Yeah. Definitely warranting being on the New York Times bestseller list as long as it was, though. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Yeah. It was on there for, what, like six years? Yeah, for like six which years. Which is crazy. <laughs> That's so long. That's so long. And I, I mean, I remember when this book came out, it was everywhere. Like, whenever I went into Barnes & Noble... It was around, but I didn't, I didn't read it until like last year. Mm. Um, so I remember it being a big deal. I just didn't get around to it. I think I, I really did not read much nonfiction when it first came out, which was in 2010, 2010. Yeah. I didn't read. Oh my God. It was 10 years ago. (laughs) I'll talk about that. Oh boy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I didn't read much nonfiction at that time. If I mean, cause I was in college. So if I was reading anything outside of what I had to read for class, it was not going to be nonfiction. No, definitely not. But, what you're doing is um, reading nonfiction for class. Yeah. No more. And these days that's, that's different. I think grad school really changed my taste for books in a lot of ways. Hmm. Um, but yeah, good book. All right, good book. All right, well, that's our first movie magic episode. Right? That's uh, that was a lot of debate, or not debate, discussion. That was yeah, that was a good discussion. It was a good discussion. I like that. Um, feel free to continue that discussion with us on social media. You can find us at Big. Uh, underscore book underscore energy either on Twitter or on Instagram um, you can also check out our website bigbookenergy.com um, for the show notes that I'll be posting um, so if you want are interested in any of the kind of links or information that we mentioned in this episode that's where you can find them um, and if you're enjoying the podcast so far please do leave us a review um, we love to get feedback Um, And if you would like to support the podcast, we do have a new option. Uh, We are affiliates with bookshop.org. So we do have a store um, that you can purchase any of the books that we've mentioned on the podcast this season. 
um, and we do get a small um, percentage of those sales um, through our affiliate bookstore. And uh, you also get to support small and independent booksellers, which is awesome. And we still have the old-fashioned way of supporting our podcast, which is patreon.com slash bigbookenergy. Uh, from there, you get things like the full version of our bonus episodes, which if you are not a Patreon member, you are hearing a small snippet, snippet a small snippet, I speak words well, you are hearing a small snippet of a much larger conversation, uh, which we get into about both the book, the movie, and also we do talk a lot about ethics in this one. So if you're interested in that, head on over to patreon.com slash bigbookenergy and become one of our book ninjas. I should probably, I should probably let you know that you can find our bookshop store at bookshop.org slash store slash bigbookenergy. But that will also be linked in the show notes. And uh, with that, I'm going to call it. I'm going to call this episode. All right. I think we've done good work here. Until next time, guys. Bye. Bye. And their importance to science cannot be understated. These cells cannot be overstated <laughs> yeah Oversta- it can't be overstated let me try that again <laughs> <laughs> tried writing this this morning coffee had not kicked in yet um okay